Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of nonfiction entertainment like never before, with insight from some of the best in the business of documentaries, reality TV, competition shows, true crime, game shows, docuseries, and much more. From Big Brother to The Last Dance to Love is Blind to All In. If it's nonfiction, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of Unscripted TV with shows like Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughter, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Friday Night Tykes among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who've made unscripted TV and documentaries, true crime, and game shows, not just something you watch, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe, download, and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on social media. That's Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guest is an Emmy award-winning producer and an outstanding creative executive. He served hosts, as a senior vice president of development at both the Discovery Channel and History Channel. Currently, he is the founder and CEO of Pocket Square Productions. Some of his many credits over the years include Sell This House, Alone, The Men Who Built America, Top Gear USA, Mountain Men, Sons of Liberty, Gangland, The World Wars, The Liberator, and Nightfall. Please welcome Russ McCarroll. Russ, how are you, man? Hi, good, Steve. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm excited. You know, we've been trying to get uh, get this on the books for a while, so I'm psyched to finally talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. You, yeah, man. So, look, you've got this exciting production company, Pocket Square Productions. You know, you were a network executive uh, for so long. Why now? You started the company in 2019. Why do you go from uh, the cozy job as a network exec to the hard work of making content? Oh, well, you know, look, it's funny. I was talking to somebody about this not that long ago. You know, I'd had a whole career as a producer before I ever went to history. So, you know, I think when I originally took the job, I was planning to just go for a year or two to the network side and, you know, sort of find out the inner workings and all the secrets that they keep behind (laughs) those doors. And, you know, next thing I know, it looked up and it'd been, you know, a little bit over 10 years. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm still here. (laughs) So um, it was never my intent. And so once, uh, once, uh, once that changed, I was like, oh gosh, maybe it's time to actually do what I intended to do and go back to to making stuff again. What made this feel like, okay, it's the right time for me to go out on my own? Well, I think it's two things. I think the first thing is that, look, you know, uh, at this specific moment in time, and this may change in the future, there's never been more buyers. There's never been more people, you know, purchasing content, whether it's streaming services or some of the premium uh, subscription-based 
uh, outlets like HBO and places like that, in addition to all the traditional cable outlets. So right now, you know, we may be at the at the height of uh, content commissioning. So that yeah. was one, that was one reason for sure. And then the second the second was, you know, look, experience is always the greatest teacher, right? And so, you know, having done this for a long time, you know, I was able to really sort of look at things and and sort of figure out a way to sort of build slowly. And and sort of one of the first things that I did right out of the gate was. Uh, set up a sort of strategic partnership with uh, my good friend, David Caravinas, who runs a company called Texas Crew Productions, um, which sort of took away the necessity to, for me to sort of build brick and mortar right away. Yeah. Um, you know, Dave and I are partnered on a, on a bunch of different projects right now, both on the series side and on the development side. And, and he had a, a, an infrastructure that was already in place. And so, you know, I was able to tap into those resources. And, you know, as, as any independent producer that does have infrastructure will tell you, the best call you can get other than a green light is, hey, I'd love to run my project. I'd love, love, to, love to partner with you on this project that's already a go. You know? so, <laughs> yes. so, so I was able to call Dave a couple of times in, the, in that situation and sort of it was a plug and play situation. And um, the first thing we did that with was sell this house, which, you know, we're lucky, to, lucky enough to be partnered up with the A&E folks on. And, uh, you know, we're right now shooting um, our second season of that. Um, so it's, it's worked out really great for both of us to this point. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're continuing that, that, that partnership and that friendship going forward. Yeah, David is fantastic. I worked with him on Friday Night Tykes. You know, he and his team at Texas Crew have really done a fantastic job of building out that company. And they've got a, a good thing going down in Austin, which is, you yeah. know, kind of a budding place for content right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, every time I turn around, there's somebody else moving down there. I know people from, you know, Nat Geo days and from Netflix and all sorts of folks are moving down there. But, you know, David and I have a long history together. He and I were in our 20s when we first started working together uh, in sports television way back when and we've sort of stayed friends over the years and and sort of I did a few things with him with him when I was at history a film about Alcatraz and then also you know we did a big documentary on the last year of Barack Obama's presidency that right yeah that, that we were able to to sort of do together so we, we we've stayed in touch over the years I won't tell you what year we we, we met each other but it's been a long time. <laughs> What I'm really curious about is your strategy coming, you know, coming out of the gates in terms of your development, because you go from History Channel along, you know, eight, nine years at History Channel, you go, you do some, some time at Discovery. Those are very specific networks, you know, male skewing networks. Yeah. What is your strategy in terms of your development? You're working with David. How do you kind of look at selling right now? I've had the great privilege of working in a lot of different areas of content, you know, um, not the least of which I spent a, a fair amount of time at the Today Show earlier in my career. So I've been able to do both male and female programming, you know, sort of on and off um, throughout my career. And, you know, as we all know, there's a few more buyers on the female side. than the male Yes. Side. So, yeah, I know. So uh, so that was one of the things I really wanted to lean into was trying to sort of be mindful of the fact that, you know, as much as, you know, I'm maybe known for male content, you know, I've done uh, all, all different types of content over my career and, and, and sort of wanting to open the aperture as much as possible. And, and having spent as long as I did at History and Discovery, you know, it was really kind of nice to do some shows that weren't so, you know, male geared and male focused. So um, it, it was funny when I started doing development at the beginning, after I, I found myself gravitating to stuff that was, um, you know, sort of different than what I'd been 
uh, spending time with that discovery and, and, and history because um, it just felt new and it felt fresh and it felt different and it was kind of fun to sort of uh, exercise those muscles a little bit and to, and to get back to doing something that was, um, you know, a little bit more positive. And I think that's one of the great things about, you know, sell this house, for example, is that, you know, we're we're not, we're not working on million dollar mansions and things like that. We're doing homes and helping people sell places that they've had trouble selling. And in many cases, the families are, are, are really needing to you know, move on to another phase of life. And so it's been fun to work on that kind of stuff again after so many years of uh, doing different kinds of stuff. You've got projects brewing with uh, Magnolia, Annie, obviously, with, uh, you know, sell this house. Talk to me a little bit about the initial pocket square slate, what kind of stuff you've got brewing? Yeah. So it's, it's actually, it actually kind of runs the gamut. So I found myself doing a fair amount of home reno stuff, which I haven't done, you know, sort of probably in, you know, almost 15 years, which um, I, I find intriguing as a sort of homeowner myself and somebody who's, yeah. You know, after 20 plus years of living in Manhattan, you know, moved out to the burbs recently and then sort of uh, is having to do a little bit of some of these things themselves, you know, trying to figure out uh, how to to redo a uh, kitchen on a budget is something that's very near to my heart these days. That was something I picked up sort of right off the bat with some of those kinds of things. We've got a couple projects in that area, which I'm very excited about, um, some of which have some interest. You know, in addition to that, you know, I have in the last, I'd say, four to six months gone back to starting to look at, you know, sort of some of the more male content, um, big project in the works um, right now about uh, sort of the ancient world and sort of Rome, which has always been something that is a, uh, a passion point of mine. And then nice. also have some other stuff that's in the vein of uh, men who built America that I'm talking to a few folks about that I'm really excited about that uh, should be coming to market very quickly, which uh, I think is, uh, is, uh, is a little bit more in that sort of hybrid vein of uh, a little bit of a mix of scripted and unscripted, which is for me, one of my favorite areas to working because it gives you the context you don't always get in scripted. It's one place where nonfiction has a real advantage over scripted. You know, you can tell the story of uh, the founding fathers, but it's really hard within a scripted uh, uh, model to give uh, give any context to what those moments meant. So that's that's a place that's a little special to my heart. I really enjoy the men who built America. Really, I really enjoyed the World Wars and Men Who Built America has kind of launched a whole franchise for History Channel. Uh, yeah. You know, you have the food, uh, the cars. Tell me a little bit about the the process of of the development of that show and kind of how that hybrid of scripted, unscripted developed, and you were able to kind of really create something that people hadn't seen before. It was kind of a, a, a special time at history then, you know, we were all sort of challenged with, you know, how could we do something that was exciting and how could we do something that was sort of barrier breaking and changed, you know, the paradigm a little bit. And David McKillop and Nancy Dubuque and some of those folks that were sort of running the show back then, you know, sort of created this atmosphere where if you could just think about it and conceive it and and convince them, they would sort of give you a lot of latitude to go make some really interesting things. And, you know, certainly with the case of men, in the case of men who built America, and also in the case of alone, like those were two shows that I worked on that I think anybody else other than, you know, those folks would have been like, Russ, you're out of your mind, get the hell out of my office (laughs) and come back when you have, when you have something serious to talk about. But, you know, um, in both of those cases, those are pretty much, you know, the only times I ever really sort of was like, just let me do it. I know I can make it work. I know I can make it work. 
I'd been sort of obsessed with the with the the sort of turn of the century, uh, you know, sort of the post Civil War uh, industrial uh, revolution era for a long time, and I've been trying and trying and trying to come up with a project to to do in that era. And you know, everybody always says the same thing about that era, like industrial revolution means you know the snooze button, you know, everybody's sleeping <laughs> two minutes later. Um, and Stephen David, to his credit, came to Real Screen with a tape that basically positioned all of those characters from that era as the sort of bad boys of the 1880s. And um, he and I, um, along with Paul Cabana, you know, sort of looked at the tape. And, you know, I remember not having any ability to buy anything at that point in time at all. And I said, don't show this to anyone, Stephen, we're going to buy this. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which, which I had no no ability to do whatsoever and have joked with Steven many times about it since, but, but he was, he was nice enough to not, to not, not chop it around a lot. And uh, we went back and sort of really, you know, lobbied and lobbied and lobbied a lot of different people. Cause you know, certainly Steven, neither Steven nor myself had much of a track record at that point. And we convinced those guys to let us take a shot at it. And we shot a scene, which is uh, the scene uh, of uh, the elephant crossing the, the river in St. Louis, um, you know, where Carnegie builds the first steel bridge. And, you know, Stephen, you know, Stephen, to his credit, you know, went out and sort of somehow, I don't know how, rented an elephant to shoot that scene with at the drop of a hat. And, you know, we brought it back and uh, showed it to uh, the powers that be, Nancy mostly. And, I'll never forget. She sort of sat there with, uh, you know, her head in her hands for a minute and was watching it. And, you know, she, it sort of ended and she didn't really say anything right away. I was kind of like, Oh God, did, does she hate it? Does she hate it? And she's like, and she just looked and she said, can the whole thing be like that? And I of course said, yes, not, not, not knowing if the whole thing could be like that or not. And, and so, you know, we were able to go ahead and, and do it, you know, obviously it, it did, it did really well and, and, and sort of resonated, I think, on a level with that probably not many of the other projects I've done that have ever resonated at and, and, and people really loved it. And it's, it's still something that people talk about a lot, but, you know, as we got into doing the, the project, you know, I mean, this is, this was even before that, that, that scene specifically, you know, one of the things that had always sort of bothered me about that kind of content that was made before is there wasn't a lot of sound. The sound was always the sort of afterthought for everything. And so I said to Steven, I said, you know, look, if somebody's going to put a, a pen down on a table let's hear the pen hit the table yeah um, and you know to his credit he came back to me pretty quickly and said well so what if people are you know talking do we hear them talking and I sort of said yeah we should hear them you know we should hear them you know sound under talking and he's like well you know do you think we should you know script that stuff and I said well you know do you think the actors that we're using are good enough to have right them? right <laughs> and he said probably not and you know so it was kind of that simple as, our, as sort of how it happened and then we showed that to you know Nancy and and, and David and, and Dirk Hoekstra and a few other folks like that and and they sort of saw it and they were like wow this is you guys have done a really pretty good job so maybe we could let some of these scenes play a little bit more and, and, and stand on their own a little bit. And so, you know, it, it was, it was kind of really a, a team effort to, to create it. And uh, it was really sort of a, it was like, it was, like I said, it was really a special time there at that point in time. Like we were, you know, we were just able to, to do a lot of things that probably nobody else other than, you know, Nancy would have been crazy enough to let us do. <laughs> Is it more nerve wracking to like launch a, brand new style of show like uh the men who built 
America or, you know, to now be pitching your own shows, starting, you know, starting production on your shows with your name on it, your production company, you know, it, it's, it's a Russ McCarroll Pocket Square Productions show, which is more nerve wracking. I think they're both nerve wracking in a different way. I mean, like your name's on both versions of, of things. So I take that incredibly seriously. And look, you know, I'll be honest with you, Nancy, you know, took a chance on a lot of us and, and, and gave us an opportunity to do things. And I always felt like we had to, we, we had to do, you know, a good job for her on much in the same way, you know, I feel like, you know, the current situation, whether it's, you know, Allison Page and Donna McClatchy and Magnolia, or whether it's, you know, uh, Rob Sharonow and Christian Murphy and, and the team over at FYI, you know, they're, they're entrusting us to do something for them um, and giving us, you know, the, the latitude to make it. So I try to do the best show I can do all the time. And, you know, I sort of think about it in conjunction with development a lot, you know, I'd rather not develop and pitch something that I don't think I can make than get into a situation where I'm going to give a product to a network or to a streamer or to anybody that, you know, I'm not super proud of and I don't feel good about. And as a result, you know, I think, you know, in my time as a network exec and and probably in the last couple of years as a producer, I, I, I would imagine that I probably don't quite do the same volume that some other you know colleagues do um for that reason you know it's it's super important and and you feel like you've been given the trust of all these these people who are in you know as much pressure as we have they have more pressure you know it's it's yeah. a lot of pressure on them that's a you know i i always uh always thought whether it was nancy or david's as love at discovery you know those guys were sitting in really tough chairs and that was really a hard those were hard jobs you know those of us that were below them were in, in, in sort of less difficult positions, some difficult positions as well, but, but, but certainly not in as difficult positions as those guys were, where they had folks, you know, boards and things like that to answer to. So you take that responsibility seriously, both, both internally and externally. So um, I think it's always a lot of pressure to do a show. And it's why, I, you know, look, it's, you know, everybody always says this, but, uh, but rarely does it actually come to fruition, you know, you got to have a plan so you can change it. And so I'm a big planner on, you know, on both sides of the equation. You mentioned volume in terms of the amount of shows you're developing. You know, I've had this discussion with other colleagues. Some people have the machine gun style attitude versus the sniper attitude where, you know, machine gun, I'm, you know, I'm developing a show every week and I'm just going to send out log lines to my network friends uh, versus what you're kind of, referring to, which is, I'm not going to take something out unless I am 100% believing I can sell this and I can make it. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you kind of came to that mentality. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's pretty simple. I think when you start as a producer, you know, you sort of always go to that point of like, okay, I'm going to have to make this. So I better be careful because you you've had to do that. You've been in situations where someone's, you know, either sold an idea or created a, a something that's that that you've had to make and so you know you know what that's like on the other side when somebody says yes to something and you know now 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 it becomes the time of okay let's get production management in here and start, <laughs> and start yep. figuring out how we're actually going to do this like and so i think i think that informs it a lot and it's not to say that the machine gun aspect of things isn't isn't doesn't work and in many ways you know you know, the machine gun guys maybe have uh, done better financially than some of us. You're right. Like, because I'm a little bit more on your side in terms of I, I can't 
if I don't understand, you know, for the audience, like I have to be able to explain what the middle of the show, the acts two, three, and four look like, or else I can't pitch it. And I, and people have been frustrated with me. They're like, yeah, but we know the beginning. We know act one and act six, you know, we, we can explain the hook and we can explain how it ends. Come on, Burke. Well, it's like, let's pitch this. And I just can't, Russ, I can't do it unless I understand the middle of the show. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, look, there's, there's been a lot of great starts to, uh, I'll, 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 you know, look, I oftentimes fall back on scripted and movies and things like that. There's been a lot of movies with great starts and, and then <laughs> yes. they just kind of go nowhere. And it's like, okay, well, you had me at the beginning and then, you know, I've gotten up and walked out halfway through because I don't understand what's going on anymore. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's true of any storytelling. You know, the middle of the story is equally as important as the beginning or the end, because that's really where you're sort of telling the meat and potatoes of, of what it is you're trying to get across you know you can paint yourself into a corner with a with a really great beginning I'll, I'll, I'll tell a little a little bit of, a, of an antidote about alone when we were making that show like yeah you know we knew that we had a great idea we knew we had a great concept we knew that we'd sort of thought through the logistics of how to put people up there on Vancouver Island in a way that they, there was probably very little risk that there was going to be something, you know, catastrophe wise, but where they were very much out on their own and they didn't really have, you know, the support system that you, you, you normally would in a wilderness situation, you know, they were out there on their own for, for a period of time and, and they were either going to survive or they weren't going to survive. Yeah. And this amazing, you know, sort of choreographed, you know, send off where we flew them all out simultaneously in helicopters and we dropped them off in different places. And we had boats sort of going across the water and stuff like that. And, you know, you knew that first initial, you know, now we're here, now we're by ourselves was going to be great. And we knew at the end we were going to, you know, give somebody a, a you know, a big check for a lot of money. Um, what we didn't know what was going to happen, what was going to happen in the middle. <laughs> and, yes. and very quickly, you know, we had a couple people drop out that first season and they, they sort of were like, yep, not for me. I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to pull the plug on this. And I, I'll never forget, you know, I was with um, some of the folks from left field, Dave George specifically. And he sort of walked away from me to take a phone call. I don't even remember exactly where we were. And I was like, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, so there's a, the dropouts have happened a little quicker than we thought they were going to happen. Yeah. And we had this sort of, you know, momentary, you know, kumbaya second of like, oh gosh, well, we hope we have enough content um, to get, you know, 10 episodes out of this because that's what we committed to. Slowly but surely, you know, things stabilized and it all worked out and we had a ton of content. We had more content than we could have used. In fact, you know, we did have a, a, a sort of a, an eleventh episode that first season because it did well. But yeah, we, you know, that's that that's the part that you really need to understand, and 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 you really need to sort of think through. And and sometimes you have to, you know, do what we did and fly by the seat of your pants. But if you can figure it out, if you can know what those middle scenes and those middle acts are, that's a much more comfortable place, I think, as a producer and and certainly as a as a commissioning exec. Alone is fascinating to me, and I'd love to know a little bit more about that because. I, I, that is a show that I love and I respect producers on that so much and the contestants as well. But like to be able to, to not know the ending, to not know, you know, where the story is headed is terrifying, you know, for, for the audience, 
Um, Russ, maybe talk a little bit about uh, the premise and kind of where you guys kind of how that came to you guys with with Left Field. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of credit goes to Gretchen Palak, who um, obviously is the president of Left Field now, but she she sort of found a piece of tape um, on the Internet or I actually, to be honest with you, I, I don't know exactly where she found it, but she it was a gentleman who had sort of spent tried to spend a year in the wilderness uh, alone. You know, she brought it to, to the folks over on her team and they sort of brought it over to us. And it was a guy who sort of lasted 360 some odd days in the wilderness. And we all looked at it and I was like, this is amazing. This is unbelievable. This is fantastic. And, and so we, we, you know, I kind of wanted to make the show immediately because I was just so fascinated by it yeah. that somebody would go out and sort of try to spend a year. I mean, it's not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't catch, you don't catch many people with pocket squares, you know, trying to spend a, a year in the no. wilderness, but it was fascinating. And I remember, you know, talking to, Gretchen and Dave and the team and just being like, yeah, we, we have to figure out a way to do this. And, you know, luckily for us, we, we, we'd had a pretty deep partnership between the network, uh, between history and, 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 uh, and left field at that time, you know, between Pawn Stars and, you know, Counting Cars and some of the other great shows that those guys were doing at that time. So um, we had a pretty good track record together. And I was working for Elaine Frontaine Bryan at the time during her, her time over at history. And we sort of went to Elaine and, over the course of a, of a period of time, got her on board and, 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 you know, to her credit, she did a lot of the blocking and tackling for that. And, and really, you know, sort of convinced some of the, the folks above her that, you know, we weren't insane and that we could probably come back with a show, but um, just that idea that people would want to do that. And I remember thinking, you know, okay, well, we found one guy, but are we really going to find that many people <laughs> that want to do this? And yeah. put out the initial casting call and, you know, they got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses sort of very quickly. And, um, you know, I remember we sort of whittled it down from, you know, a ton of people down to sort of 25 final candidates. And, and we took them to a boot camp. Um, actually in, in, in upper Westchester County, uh, New York, we all went and, you know, sort of sat down in a, in a, you know, conference room and interviewed these folks and sort of talked to them about why they wanted to do it. And they were like, you know, and, and at that time, they, no one knew about the prize money. So they weren't, there was no motivation for them doing it Interesting. You know, at, at, for money. Cause that, 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 um, that we sort of added into the mix, but, but we didn't do it until sort of late in the process and we didn't actually you know, sort of really tell anybody until the, uh, until the end of the first season. So it was, it was, uh, it was a very pure, you know, experience in talking to them and sort of getting, you know, sort of these guys that were like, look, we really want to prove something to ourselves. We want to, you know, prove to ourselves we can do it. We've always been looking for this opportunity. And it was, it, I remember the hardest thing about it was, you know, sort of, you know, having interviewed everybody sitting in the room with, you know, Gretchen and Sean Witt and Dave and a few other folks and trying to figure out like, okay, who are the 10 that we're going to choose out of like, what was, you know, 25 really great candidates. And, 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 you know, and it, it was just, it was an, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've had in television of, of sort of conceiving something from beginning to end that, you know, ended up turning into something that was, you know, super successful on the, on history. And then, you know, it's just even had a second life on Netflix um, in the last, last couple of years where, you know, people are sort of finding the show now in season six and season seven um, because of the streamers in a, in a different way than even, even they did on the network, which has been, you know, sort of great for people to know about that show now, you know, after, after so long. And, and Zach Baer, who's over at history has done a sort of an amazing job, you know, sort of shepherding that show over the last few, few years, you know, um, and he, and he was certainly part of the beginning of it as well. I mean, he, he and I worked on that together. So um, it was really a great experience. 
In terms of uh, what, what you've got cooking uh, with Pocket Square, I understand you have uh, a show with Magnolia called The Field House. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So tell me, it, it sounds really great uh, from what I read. You've got um, a, a guy named Justin Bain, who is the focus, right, of The Field House. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so just, Justin's, a, Justin's a, an interesting character. He grew up, um, you know, sort of uh, in, in in West Texas and in sort of an economically challenged family and then sort of, you know, had brothers and sisters that he sort of looked after in his youth and and, and was a very, very accomplished football player. And, you know, as, as everybody knows, you more so than ever having worked on, more than anyone having worked on Friday Night Tikes. Yeah. Um, Football in Texas is, you know, sort of, you know, one stop short of religion. Um, I, I think it is. I think, I think, that I, I'm pretty sure it is a religion. Yeah. yeah. So he, you know, he sort of grew up playing and, and, and sort of went to Baylor University and was, was, was set to play there and blew out his knee, um, you know, in practice and, and never really, you know, played uh, for the, for the team, but sort of it changed the trajectory of his life. And he sort of had to, you know, bootstrap himself up, you know, working at Walmart and doing things like that. And, and sort of, you know, by hook or crook, you know, found a way, um, married his high school sweetheart. She, uh, you know, graduated from, uh, with a doctorate degree just last year. And they, they moved to Abilene for her to pursue that. And, uh, you know, Justin, opened a gym in an amazing facility down there and got his brother to come up and work on it and work at it, excuse me, um, with he and his wife and they own it. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a tremendous story, but what he's always really looked to do um, from the time he was a kid until now is, is help people. He's a, he's very much wants to help people. He was brought, brought up to, you know, lend a hand when you can and, and has sort of lived that mantra. And he sort of, uh, gets to know people at the gym in a way that not a lot of people do. He sort of uh, makes sure that he finds that thing in each of them that motivates them to come back. Um, that's, that's not just, Hey, I want to lose 10 pounds. It's, you know, Hey, I, I've got a baby on the way and, you know, I haven't always taken care of myself and I know I need to, I need to know I need to be better physically in order to you know take care of my child. He'll, he'll tap into that. And, and he's got a great you know, partnership with his wife, Annie, she, she's a nutritionist and she'll sit with people and sort of say, okay, you know, the way you're doing things from a nutritional standpoint, it doesn't matter how much time you spend with Justin, you're never going to get there unless you change this piece of it, which is the way you're eating. And, and so they, they, they really have, they've helped a tremendous amount of people. And, you know, the show has been up on discovery plus for a little bit now and uh, it's done real well and we're really excited about it. And, you know, that's, that's one that, you know, Dave and I at Texas crew and the Texas crew chain, Brad Birdstein has been at, had a huge part of that. He's, you know, Brad's been, uh, Brad's been the one that's uh, done a lot of the heavy lifting on that show for, for, for sure. Um, he, he sort of is, uh, you know, the one that, sort of crafted a lot of the the storytelling of that so it's it's been a great it's been really fun to work on you know we're hoping that uh people will like justin as much as we do do you feel like there's more of a thirst for inspirational stories right now considering you know we're up on the one year anniversary of the pandemic and people really need that uh they really want to hear these types of of inspirational stories yeah I, I think, you know, look, it's funny, you know, we used to talk about this a lot when I was on the network side, when the world was doing well, meaning the economy is, you know, you know, there's stability in the White House and things like that. It seems like that's the kind of time when everybody wants, you know, those uh, sort of uh, 
real housewives shows and, and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff where there's a little bit more drama there's a little bit more you know sort of excitement going on um but then when when things maybe aren't going quite as well in the world like with covid you know i think people want that stuff that is a little bit more blue sky that makes people feel a little bit better about the world and about you know the humans that are living in it and i think you know justin really speaks to that you know yeah and if if it's going to be okay for justin and annie and their business and their family down in abilene then hey maybe it's going to be okay for me too and i think that um you know i think that's incredibly important especially over the last year as as you know things have been things have been hard for a lot of people Indeed. and certainly harder for them than than for for some of us who've been fortunate um to to continue to be busy and have things to do your your career has been you know great in terms of being starting as a producer and working on something like the Today Show and then you know going and being a, a development executive at two tremendous networks and now starting your own production company. As as you kind of reflect on on what you've done, what would you say has been the 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 key moment or the key show that really has kind of helped you to get to where you're at today? I mean, I think it. You know, it's funny. I I was lucky enough to work on a lot of really sort of pretty amazing, you know, shows along the way from Eco Challenge to Today to, you know, Men Who Built America and Alone and Mountain Men and some of those kinds of shows. But I but, but really what I think back to most more so than anything is people um, and people that helped me along the way. I had a great um, guy that I used to work with who the first show I produced, he was actually the cameraman. He was a guy named Peter Henning. Peter was a longtime um American sportsman cameraman at ABC. The very first show I produced was called Wild Africa for what was at the time called the Outdoor Life Network, um, which then became Versus and is now NBC Sports Network, and which I think is, if I'm not mistaken, about to go away sometime. Yeah, I I think so because of because of Peacock. Yeah, so uh, so that was the first place I worked, and Peter was the cameraman that was assigned to work for me on that show, and he sort of took me under his wing, and he was like, "Look, you know." I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're the producer. I'm the cameraman. But he's like, if you need any help, let me know. And he really was great. And Diana Nyad, who I just saw there was a film announced about her uh, life that came out, was the, was the talent on the show. And so off Peter, Diana and I went to Africa to, to film for, you know, eight weeks. And, and Peter really took me under his wing. And he really sort of, you know, showed me how to be a producer and how to, you know, sort of uh, direct a crew and, and sort of, you know, learn how to learn learn on my feet as I was going and um and you know he and I later worked together on on eco challenge and we worked on Iron Man together we worked on a lot of things for a lot of years and it was funny I every once in a while we'd be somewhere and I'd you know go to take my wallet out to pay for something and he would never let me pay for anything still to this day I'm not sure he's ever actually let me pay (laughs) but he always said to me the same thing he was like just pay it forward he's like you take care of the next person the way that I'm taking care of you and you do for you do for somebody else what I'm doing for you. And that was that was all he asked for. And so, you know, that's always something that stuck with me more so than anything was to try to, you know, be helpful to other people along the way in the same way that he was helpful to me. You know, he he was extremely generous with his time. He was extremely generous with his expertise. He was extremely generous in in so many ways. And, you know, 
that's always what I've tried to do with other folks is, is do that. So I, I was lucky to have that experience with him. I, you know, Jamie Gangal, who I worked with on the Today Show for a long time is another person who was like, you know, sort of very informative or very definitional for me in my career. You know, I, when I left today, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I went back to producing for a while and, you know, I got this call from Jamie and she said, Hey, so my uh, friend Nancy Dubuque just took over history and she's looking for some people. You know, anybody that would want to talk to her? And I said, well, yeah, Jamie, I'd love to talk to her. <laughs> so Jamie, uh, Jamie was very nice. And, and just to you know, tell the, the sort of backside of that story a little bit, Nancy had worked, Nancy Dubuque had worked for, for Jamie years earlier at NBC News. And so Jamie introduced me to Nancy and, and, and Nancy was probably the next person that was super definitional in my career. And, and, and Nancy was nice enough to sort of give me a chance, somebody who'd never really done a lot of development before. And then between Jamie and Nancy, that sort of took me into that whole sort of era of doing uh, network development work. And, and, you know, I had no credentials to be a development exec at all. Um, but Nancy took a chance, you know, based on Jamie's recommendation and the two of them really, you know, and, and I'll never be able to thank them enough for, for that, you know, period of time. That was, that was as much fun as I've ever had in the business was working on that kind of stuff together. Um, and there's, there's, there's been other folks along the way who've also been, you know, sort of super deferential. You know, I learned a lot from Elaine Frontane Bryant. Uh, I learned a lot from David McKillop. I learned a lot from, you know, a ton of folks along the way, but you know, that, those are, those are the things that I remember more so than the shows and more so than uh, the awards or any of those kinds of things. It's, it's the people that you got a chance to work with. That was really what I thought was, you know, the best part of the whole scenario. And, you know, some of those folks that I worked with, you know, like Peter, you know, have been friends for you know a long long time now and, and even David David and I worked with Peter together and you know for David and I still to be able to work together after all these years is awesome and it's it's fun and that's what it's all about it's it's who you get to work with and and, and what you and the stories you get to tell here's something to reflect on and share with my audience is there any kind of funny or crazy moment that you can share that kind of really says a little bit about our unscripted industry that, you know, whether it was funny or ridiculous, uh, oh, something gosh. that you always remember. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I have to, I have to give that a second of thought. Cause it's, it's there, there, you know, there, there are so many of them. I mean, you know, the first one that comes to mind is, you know, I'll never forget being, you know, at an Ironman one year and deciding that, you know, since the production office was in David's name that I should just charge, my entire bar tab for the week and a half to to David's uh, production office because that was uh, going to be better than me having to pay the tab. Um, but, oh my uh, goodness! I'm sure he was thrilled. Yeah, he was real happy about that when he got the bill. He, you know, he like sort of looked up to the sky and just yelled my name as he was having to pay the bill at the end of the week. But uh, but that that's certainly one of the ones that comes to mind. I mean, I uh, there's a, a cameraman, uh, the Peter Henning, who I told you about. I, I'll never forget him walking up one night to a, a giraffe when we were in Africa and trying to pet it and then having the giraffe like sort of throw his leg out and sort of knock Peter's uh, middle finger on his hand and oh my god basically just took off the entire fingernail by just sort of you know gradually you know brushing him away um oh, but wow. yeah there was there were there was a million of those moments I mean you know one one moment I always think about is um I was actually in the air on 9-11 um coming back from doing the Goodwill Games um down in Australia and you know that 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 was something that always stuck with me was you know sort of a bunch of us who were working for Turner at the time getting off a plane yeah, yeah. in LA 
as the world was sort of falling apart and sort of having to, you know, try to, we were all ushered together and sort of ended up, you know, uh, in a hotel in Century City for four days together where we were all trying to get back to home. That was a really sort of poignant moment. And, you know, uh, Britt Kahn, who was one of the folks I was with then, and and, and Mike, Matt Morantz and a few other, Matt, who you know. Um, I do. And other yeah. folks who were, all, we were all stuck in, in Los Angeles for a few days together. Um, I remember I, I went, funny enough, I, I was stuck in LA and we had been with the same people for so long that I actually called the, uh, Lisa Hennessy and Mark Burnett and ended up at a sushi restaurant in Santa Monica with them that night, you know, sort of in this eerie situation where we were eating, you know, dinner and, you know, trying to grapple with what had happened. And, you know, that, 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 that's something that sticks out with me quite a bit, you know, from, from the career. And, and, you know, now in hindsight, it was just a surreal situation, yeah. you know, but, but at the time it seemed very, very normal to go, go see friends and, and sort of, you know, try to try to figure out what had happened in the world. There, there's been a, you know, a ton of, a ton of moments, you know, you know, Al Roker, you know, pitching New York News League softball game at, in Central Park, you know, was one of the things that, that always kind of sticks out with me. Al's, you know, Al's been, you know, a wonderful, you know, colleague and friend for years, but, to, but to see him out there on the mound pitching during a softball game was kind of surreal too. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, no, so there, there's been, a, there's been a lot of those moments. I mean, you know, I, I'll never forget, you know, you know, being with uh, Ann Curry and, and, and was wanted to be, uh, they had a, Trade, trade your job and 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 she and me and him decided to, to trade jobs for a day and so we went down to Washington and me was playing in a professional soccer league down there and and got out on the field with uh you know the, the members of the soccer team and tried to play soccer um oh my goodness and Anne is a wonderful wonderful lady and you know has done some amazing amazing things but um you know she's not a professional soccer player and I remember feeling really really bad for her as she went out there and tried to compete against all those folks because I was like that that looks really hard <laughs> that looks really really hard Mia to her credit did a very good job on the set of today and, and, and uh, it was great I mean you know there was there was a lot of a lot of really wonderful moments I mean I you know I saw you know just recently talked to Melissa Stark who I worked with quite a quite a bit and she and I were talking about an interview that we had done in Las Vegas uh, with Tiger Woods that you know ended up in the Tiger dock um, you know so that was something else that popped up recently so Really? Okay, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So it was. It, it's been quite interesting. It's been a fun ride for sure. I did want to ask you. You received uh, an NAACP award for best documentary in 2017 for the work you did on the 44th president in his own words. Can you tell me a little bit about that project? Yeah. So I was really lucky in my time at History. I was able to meet a couple presidents um, and and shoot at the White House, both with um, George Bush and Barack Obama you know, uh, Bush Jr., obviously. It, 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 you know, look, there. I've talked about this, you know, with people very many times. I've been to Super Bowls. I've been to, you know, NBA Finals. I've been to a lot of really kind of amazing places in the world. I've, you know, traveled all over. But the, by far the most, the thing I remember most of my entire career is I was in the Oval Office uh, at the White House. And you're not really supposed to be in there alone. Um, okay. Ever. 
unless you're the president. Um, and, but we were loading in gear and loading out gear. And there was a park police officer there that was sort of meant to sort of make sure that we were, you know, sort of doing, you know, things the right way. And, you know, he sort of followed somebody out and I looked around and I was in the Oval Office by myself um, for about 30 seconds until he walked back in and realized I hadn't followed them out. And you look up at the ceiling in the Oval Office and there's a giant embossed seal of, of the President of the United States. And you sort of look around that room and you're in there alone. And it's it was by far the thing that, you know, sort of struck me the most in my career was like, wow, this is this is a place that just nobody gets to go to ever. And nobody certainly gets to be in, you know, even for 30 seconds alone. <laughs> um, so that was, to me, that was a really special moment in my career was, was just that, you know, sort of accidental uh, tourist second of, uh, of just being alone there. You know, I probably could have run behind the Resolute desk if I tried. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure the park police officer would have tackled me and probably beat me to the pulp. But so I stayed in the spot I was in and, you know, uh, he sort of realized what had happened, but it was, but you know, it, it was really amazing to do, to do that. And it was amazing to sort of be at the White House and be able to see some things, you know, whether it's the Lincoln bedroom or whether it's, um, you know, sort of the private residences and stuff like that. But we were able to spend some time with President Obama in his last year in office. And in fact, um, you know, uh, David actually worked on the show with me as well. And, and we did two different interviews with him, you know, um, where we sat down and talked to him for, for an hour each time about what it was like to be um, to him and, and what it was like to be president and what it was like, you know, to certainly be the, the first African-American president and, and some of the challenges associated with that and, and, and what he thought his legacy was at that point in time. And, you know, I remember, you know, he was extremely reflective and, and, and you could just see that there was almost um, that, that sort of weight of that eight years in office, um, you yeah. know, it really sort of, in a weird way, reminded me of President Bush, and 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 because I saw him at the end of his presidency as well. His wife had done some some work on the um, on the White House itself uh, during their time there, and we did a show called "The White House Behind Closed Doors," where we sort of went and saw all the work that uh, Laura Bush had done to the White House, and some really fantastic you know, amazing things that she'd done to sort of preserve things. And, and, and he came and did an interview with us about it at the end. And, and I remember talking to him as well. And, you know, both of them at the end of their, at the end of their presidencies were, were sort of, you know, almost uh, it, it, the perception I had was that it almost seemed like relief. And they were, they were sort of in this process of returning to being like sort of normal people and, and sort of talking about normal things. You know, um, I, I remember President Bush talking about Alex Rodriguez at the time who had just moved teams and Texas football and some things like that. And sort of, you know, talking about looking forward to being able to go back to, to seeing games and doing things like that. And, 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 I, and I remember talking to President Obama about how much he was looking forward to spending a little bit more time in both Chicago and Hawaii and being able to sort of, you know, spend more time with his daughters and his wife and, and, and sort of do some of those things that you, you sort of take for granted. Um, but it was, it, I mean, look, that was, um, spending that amount of time in, in the White House and just being able to walk around and see it was just, was amazing. And, 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 and to understand the pressure that those guys are under um, yeah. those jobs is just, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's amazing that they're, it's amazing that any of them live through it, to be honest with you, you know, uh, they, they look, I, I feel tired sometimes, but when you look at those guys after eight years, they look like they just need to take a nap for about a year and then maybe, yeah. okay. So, but it was, it was really special and it was really special to hear them talk about what was important to them 
about their presidencies and and what they sort of held to be um, you know sort of their lasting legacy at that moment in at, at a point when they hadn't had any time to reflect and they hadn't had any time to sort of take it all in and think about it. it you know, it was sort of a very you know here's what you think now. And I wonder if I talk to them now, if they would still feel the same way, if they feel differently now. Yeah. That's great to get in the moment like that. Yeah. yeah. It was really special. And it was a, it was a great project. I love to end the episode with just, you know, recommending a few things for the audience to watch or to talk about some things that you may have coming up, some shows you may of yours that you may have coming up. The thing, the thing I've watched most recently that I, uh, that I, you know, sort of would recommend to anybody is, is Murder on Middle Beach, um, which HBO just did recently. Um, you know, I actually live in the town that that, oh. that show is based in, and you know, uh, I so all the all the uh, all the uh, B roll and everything from that, I'm like, oh, there's uh, there's RJ Julia's, and there's so uh, so I saw that recently, and and sort of I remember the the story from when it happened, but. Uh, I thought they did it. I thought it was really an amazing uh, piece of work that that the that Jigsaw and Evan Lerner and all those guys did. I thought it was really kind of amazing. I re- I really enjoyed that. I would recommend that highly. And of course, I'm in the middle of uh, a- Allen versus Pharaoh, uh, Doc, yeah. right now, which I think everybody's really. I wrote that down too. Yes. Yeah, that's one of my. That's that's one of the things that I really that I'm really excited to to see. Uh, the end of been it's been great so far. I've really enjoyed that. And you know, I'll throw in I'll throw in a little more, which is just the last dance for anybody that still hasn't seen that <laughs> um, jason and the guys did did a yeoman's work putting together something that was really really special last year that i thought was i haven't grown up as a as a fan of michael jordan and sort of you know remembering you know that that sort of period of time i thought they did a really good job of bringing that back to life in a way that uh you know not a lot of stuff does so i th- those were a couple of things i was really super impressed with um, recently, and I know, you know, Stephen would kill me if I didn't tell everybody that he's got another Man Who Built America that's on the way. So, yeah, <laughs> you should look out for the sequel because that'll that'll I'm sure be that'll sure I'm sure be great. And uh, you know, look, we, more more stuff from Pocket Square as well. We've got the you know, you got some, like I said, we've got a, a big a big project that's in 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 the world of finance, and you know, another one in the world of Rome that are coming down the road, and a bunch of uh, sort of talent driven stuff that's also on on its way, and. And, and one big game show that you'll see in the fall. So okay, that's very nice. Excited. All right. Well, yeah, you'll have to come back and and uh, we can anytime. talk about that. Yeah, anytime. I would love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to be a part of it. Yes, sir. Thank you, Russ. I really appreciate the time. My pleasure. We'll talk to you soon, Steve. And that's going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem. For everybody listening, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. You can also write a question if you have one. Send those to no script no problem podcast at gmail.com if you're interested in advertising on the show please contact believe at believe.com thank you for listening until next time i'm steve berkowitz for no script no problem thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.